Gracious and Heavenly Father, we come again to feast upon Your Word. We, we have no other hope, God. We have nothing but Your Spirit moving through Your Word to let us see the glory of Your Son and to Your glory, God. And we pray that You would do that these very moments. God, that You would render our hearts just laid open and bare before You, God. That You would expose our sins. And we will come groveling, clinging to your Son and to his cross and finding no hope in anything else, God. Certainly not in ourselves, nothing that we have done, but only in your Son and what he has accomplished upon the cross. Father, could you work that during this time? We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Several uh, years ago, while I was living in Nepal doing some missionary work, and uh, I was quite a bit younger and coupled that uh, youthful ignorance with some missionary zeal, and they had an off day, and we were living in the capital at that time of Kathmandu, and so we thought, hey, I'll go to the king's palace. We want revival to come to Nepal, and that's what we're working for. Why don't I go to the king's palace? Share the gospel with the king. He'll get saved. What better way to do it, right? He laughed. And so I got dressed. I walked. I didn't have any money. So I walked and walked and walked. Got to the king's palace. And of course, what do you find? A young guard there standing with his Kalichnikov rifle at the entryway. So I go there in my English. And I kind of explain to him, you know, I'm a Christian. I want to go. Share the gospel with your king. I just got to get in. You know, if you could just move aside and then I could get in. And just, no. Okay, no, maybe you don't understand what what's at stake here. I know you guys are going through a civil war and everything like that. But no, this is really, really imperative. And he starts answering back in some English, which was broken, which is fine because it's far better than my Nepalese. And so his English was... Broke, and I could kind of understand them, and so it was clear. I thought the answer was no, and I took it. I stepped to the side, and then he took a step to the side as well, and matched me up. And then his well, his broken English became very clear at that time. I was not going in to go meet the king. It's the same thing we have in the text. I could not go in to meet the king in Nepal to share the gospel with him to have. Revival spread through Nepal. Why? Because I wasn't prepared at all. All I had done is walk there. That was it. That was the that was my preparation I had done to get there. Same thing we see here in our text. You must be prepared, my friends. You must prepare yourself to meet the king. You must prepare yourself to meet the king. And you see this in, in three different sections. There's two different stories that are going on. We're breaking up in three different parts. The first part is to seek the lost. Seek the lost. There's, we come, or there's a call to come, and we come. But the, the ultimate imperative here is to go and to seek the lost. Verses 1 through 10. Verses 11 through 14 is to clothe yourselves in Christ. Clothe yourselves in Christ, verses 11 through 14. And then finally, there's nothing else but to give your life to God, verses 15 through 22 here at the end. 
main idea that I hope you take home is prepare yourself to meet the king. Prepare yourself to meet the king. So you go and you, you seek the lost and you heed the call to come and you clothe yourselves in Christ and then you give your life to God. All of your life is to be given to God. That's where we're going. Let's, let's go back to the text here. And this is, as just as a side, this is why we go back to the text. And so we, we have Jeff come up and read the text. We give a little intro, and then often Adam and I will go back and read the text. And why? Because quite frankly, whatever God has to say to you is far more important than whatever we have to say to you. So the more we can read the text, and the less I can talk about what I think, well, the better off we're going to be. So that's why we go back and we read the text. So we're here in verses 1 through 10 to seek the lost. Verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent his servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed these murderers and burned their city. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, it should sound familiar, go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to, to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they could find, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. We notice again here that Christ is again speaking in parables to the people and there's no other great, there's no other way to, to teach the people and then to also stir them into action but by speaking through these parables and that's what we see here again. So there's, there's a king who's having a wedding banquet and it's, it's for his son so there's, there's no lavish expense that is withheld and in the, in the original here, the wedding banquet, it's actually in, it's in plural. It's a plural form, given this idea that it's not just one-time thing, but it's ongoing and ongoing for days and days and days after having this wedding banquet. And already the invitation has gone out, has it not? It's kind of a, a save-the-date type of thing. So the invitation has gone out, and then he sends his servants out to call them who have already been invited. But what was their response? Like a bunch of Midwesterners standing there. Nothing. They didn't come. They didn't come. But they would not come, it says. But he's the king, is he not? He's the king. So undaunted, he, he sends them out again. And he sends out more servants. And he pleads with them. He pleads with them. He says, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Everything is ready. Come. Come to the wedding feast. Come. But what did they do? Well, they they paid no attention, did they? They they had apathy. It's not as though they initially opposed him. They didn't jeer him. They just 
didn't heed his words, right? One off to his farm, another to his business. Well, don't you know it's springtime? I have to go plow. I have to. I have seed to put in the ground. Well, don't you know I I have a business? And sure, you might pray for your daily bread, but I have ten employees. They don't pray to me, but I am their source of daily bread. Don't you know how important that is? Unamused and unconcerned, we see Nero playing his fiddle as Rome burns. Americans, unamused and unconcerned, simply scroll through, looking for the next feed as the servants of God come out and implore them to come. But they're unamused and unconcerned. One to his farm, another to his business. For the rest, they were not so apathetic. And they, they seized his servants and they treat him shamefully. And ultimately, they, they killed them. My friends, it should be clear. When you hear the call of God, no matter what it is, when you hear the call of God, do not turn back. Do not turn back to these farms that are here today, gone tomorrow. Do not go to these businesses that, quite frankly, are good, but they are not eternal. Do not presume that your amusement is worth your soul. Americans, we just want to be amused. That's it. We don't care what else we have. We can be in abject poverty as long as we're amused or fine. And here's the ironic part, is that the king is inviting us to the wedding feast of his son. But no, we're too amused. We're too amused, aren't we? We heed, we do not heed the call to come and to give our lives to Christ. We'd rather be amused with childish, childish amusement. Well, that's sufficient, is it not? But you hear this call coming out from the servants of God, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it was good. It was good. But the snake came in and and deceived Adam and Eve. Then they partook of the fruit and they ate it and they were poisoned. Not just them, but all of them. Entirely, entirely consumed with sin and not just them, but all of creation, and you see it pass on from generation to generation, the father, the son, the mother, the daughter, passing down, passing down until it comes to you. And here you are, filled with that same sin, as if it was you who had taken the fruit off the tree and eaten it yourself. But Christ has come to redeem His people. That's this glorious story of the Bible. There's this this struggle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the woman prevails. Christ comes. And He dies this death that we are to die because of the sin within us. But He takes on this wrath of God upon Him and His righteousness is then given to us. How? When we believe. When we believe. And this is the call that is going out. From the servants of God to the people that God has invited to his wedding feast. It's this, this imperative here. You see it in verse 4. Come. Come. 
come to the wedding feast. And this, this wedding feast I've spoken of in this, in this parable, it finds ultimate, its ultimate fulfillment where you see in Revelation 19, the wedding supper between the, the Lamb and His people. In verse 6 here of Revelation 19, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride, the church, you, if you're in Christ, the church has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, linen, bright and pure. You see those that do not heed the call? What happens? The king was angry. Verse 7. Go ahead. Fight against the king of all kings. What happens? Well, the king, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Of course, it might be partially fulfilled again in 70 AD, but this is pointing again to something greater. So it's no, it's no coincidence that in Revelation 19 you have the marriage supper of the Lamb followed by what? Christ coming back on his horse to expel judgment upon those who do not repent, who do not heed this call to come to come to Christ. Destroyed their city. Well, Revelation 19, what do you see? Christ coming back. Riding His horse. True and just. And the blood flows as grape juice out of a wine press. Behold your God. And come. When He tells you to come. But why would you not come, my friend? What is holding you back? Do you, do you not see the feast of God's grace that is being held before us? Do we not see it? We're, we're so amused with such trivial things all the time. And here is the feast, God's grace. His wrath poured out on His Son that He might have His righteousness in us through Christ. And he invites us to come to the wedding feast of his son. And no, no thanks. Off one to his farm, another to his business. Doing good and godly things. They look great, right? Farmer has more acreage than anybody else. Businessman has better profit margins, market shares than anybody else. Good guy. That's who you want to be, right? No, no, that's not. You want to be the one who comes brokenhearted with nothing else, who heeds the call to come. That's That, my friend, is who you want to be. But here, you see, the call is not just to come. You see this, this imperative also to go. In verse 9. The ones who who it was prepared for, that is the Jews, the ones initially invited, well, they did not heed this this call to come, did they? Prophet after prophet, God sent to them, and they did not respond. They didn't listen. They too were amused, as we are. And they didn't listen to the men of God, the women of God, calling out to them. First they ignored them, and then they killed them, right? 
So you see the prophet Jeremiah, they ignore him, they ignore him. He keeps crying out. He's in stocks outside of the temple. The man of God locked in stocks outside of the temple of God. It gives you a picture of their spiritual condition. They ignore him, then they lock him in stocks, and then they finally throw him in a cistern. Or you have Isaiah. They ignore him until they need him and when the Assyrians are surrounding him. Or then Hezekiah desperately needs him, right? And then he goes to the temple. But when things were going fine again, they didn't need him any longer, and then he was sawn in two during the reign of Manasseh. They ignore him, they ignore him, then eventually they kill him. But these words of Christ were also prophetic as well. You see, the the half-brother of Christ, James, thrown off the temple. Why? Because he was inviting the people to come and to come, to come. Come to the wedding feast, come to the wedding feast. James, half-brother of Christ, thrown off the temple. You also see Stephen. He was stoned. Inviting them. Inviting them to come. To come. To come. Because part of this invitation to come, my friend, is that you you tell them, you're a wretched sinner. Right? That'll get you stoned. Bringing forth the gospel, inviting people to come and to behold the grace of God means that I need the grace of God. That I am a wretched sinner. That I have partaken of this fruit as if I was me and Adam and Eve, all three of us in the garden together. Well, that, that, my friend, that will get you stoned. Anyway, so here's the banquet and it's fully prepared and these people have not heeded the call to come and so... There is no one to attend. So what does he do? He tells the servants, Go. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. This call to, to go, therefore. Go, therefore. Should sound familiar. And what miraculous thing do these servants do? These wonderful servants, God, they're told to go. And what do they do? They go. Wonderful. And you see this, so the servant of God, that's their identity, is found in obedience. There's no servant of God who does not fulfill the, the wishes of the king, is there? Well, no. What kind of servant would he be if he went off and did his own thing? When they're told to go, and they go, oh, okay. Maybe I'll return to my farm. Maybe I'll return to my business. No, no. You're, you're the servant of the king. You heed the beckon and the call of the king. And they go out. And they go in the public place, the places where the roads are meeting together, the open areas of the city, and they're calling out to everyone within Yushar, come, come, come. It's open for anyone. It's open for everyone. You, you, you homeless man, come, don't worry. Come, come as you are, you stressed out mother. Come, come. You corporate ladder climber, don't worry. There's room for you too. Just come, come when you hear the call of Christ coming out. The good, the bad, and the ugly, they're all invited and the wedding banquet was filled with them. Though it is so clear, I think, judging by our actions, church, I think we fail to see the implications laid before us. The servants of God are commanded, commanded to go and to seek the lost. 
There is no provision given for their, their duties or their desires. We are simply given the command to go. There's no qualification about it. Go. There's no, well, I'm busy now. This is a busy season. Don't you know I'm in med school? Don't you know I'm a first year resident? This is the hardest year of my life. That's fine. Go. What? I have kids. They're, they're toddlers. I had one just throwing up in the back all over the place. Go. Whatever phase you're in, it's not going to get any better. Go. Go now. Heed the words of Christ. If you are a servant of God, you will fulfill these commands of God. And these servants, they actually, they go out with the full authority of God. It's not as though they're going out with just this army of one. No, they, they go with the full provision and the full authority of God. So just as God has given all of His authority to Christ, the Son, and you see this when He's out on earth, He's He's casting out demons as He's declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's casting out demons, He's raising the He's healing the sick, He's raising the dead. And this full authority, it actually gives Him the wherewithal to associate with everyone, does it not? Well, this same authority that God has given the Son, the Son is actually given to whom? To the church. Keep turning several more chapters and you'll find right at the end here, Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, that's great. So what do we do? Go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the commands that I have given you. And lo, I am with you always. Lo, and behold, I am with you always. To the very ends of the age. So, again, you are not an army of one, but actually every step that you trod, you are bringing forth the authority of God is behind you. God and all of His cavalry is behind you as you're going out and sharing the gospel. Or doing whatever, praying for them, whatever it is, you are doing it. So what do you do then, friends? Just take the next step, whatever it is, whatever God has for you. For some of you, it's going to be simply knowing your neighbor's name, praying for them. Praying for them two, three times a day that God would reveal His glory to them. You pray for them, and then quickly you realize, wait, man, I've been praying for someone to share the gospel with them. No one's doing it, but I'm praying for them. You see the next step. So you pray for them. That's good. Step one. That's not the end. Then you, you just do something. It's just in prayer and deed. Do Invite him over for supper. Whatever it is, do something with him. And then in, in word as well. In prayer, in deed, and in word, go and seek the lost. For some of you, you're right here, and you should be out sharing the gospel with people you know, people you don't know, just starting up conversations, sharing the gospel with them. This Friday, Dennis Dennis Prothero, he's that guy. Go, meet. we're going to meet here in the parking lot. Call Dennis Prothero. Come this Friday. Just go to neighborhoods, invite him to our Easter service, and go and pray for them. It's quite easy. Just knock on the door and say, how can, how can we pray for you? We're Christians. 
we are committed to praying for people. We have a church here in the neighborhood. How can we pray for you? Oh, it sounds its terrible. You pray with them. You say, yeah, we, we do live in the broken world. Do you, do you know why? You share the gospel with them. You pray for them. So seek the lost, my friends. Seek the lost. There is no, no greater joy. There is no greater joy. Sure, it's nice to pray for your neighbor, but there is no greater joy than to share the gospel with them and to see the Holy Spirit come and working in their heart and seeing the scales come off their eyes and that they might behold the glory of God. Oh, that is a wonderful thing, my friends. As servants of God, that is what is held before us. And there is no provision. We are simply commanded. Go. So we must. We must. We must heed this this call to come when we're beckoned to come and to come to the wedding feast, but then to also go as the servants of God and, and to be faithful to take the next step in, in prayer and in deed and in word to take the next step. But now we'll see what, what happens when the wedding banquet is full and the king comes in. Let's return here to verses 11 through 14. But when the king came in to look at his guest, and he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him to the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, for many are called, but few. The few are chosen. So you, you see what happens. Remember, the people that came, they were the ones who were unprepared, right? They were just carrying on in their lives and they hear the call of the herald and they come. So they're, they're carrying on like many of you when you share the gospel, when you heard the gospel. You were just carrying on in your sin. I was a drunk college student, carrying on in my sin. You hear the gospel. You go, ah. Oh. You come. And you come. And so they have these travelers who would come in. And when you come to the palace, you have these garments and you put them on. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is just ask. But there was one of these ones. One of these things was not like the other. When he was addressed as to his situation, his state, he was speechless. He had nothing. And when we are found in our own natural state, when he was found in that natural state, he could not be in the presence of the king any longer, for the king is jealous for his own glory and for his own honor. And he will not let anyone undeserving come into his presence, will he? So his attendants come, and they bind him hand and foot, and they throw him out into the outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what you're seeing here is that we are not allowed to come into the presence of the king unless we are transformed, my friends. You must be transformed. Unless, that is, we are clothed, not in our old self, not in our natural self, but unless we are clothed and clothed in Christ. How are you to come into the presence of God with your own with your own garments stained with sin, and in and of your own works. How are you going to come into the presence of God with your own sin? It would be 
It'd be easier for you to dance on the sun than to come into the radiant glory of God with your own sin. What are you to do? You must, you must take off your old self and you must put on Christ. As Paul, what did he, in Ephesians 4, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Friends, it is never enough to simply hear the gospel. Great, you grew up going to church. Fantastic. Good. You had wonderful parents. It's not enough. It is not enough to simply hear the gospel from many Many are called, but few are chosen, my friend. Job, and he says in his discourse, as he's going back to his friends in chapter 29, he's speaking, I will put on righteousness. I will put on righteousness and it will clothe me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Then Paul again in Romans 13, starting in verse 11, he says, Besides this, you know the time. But the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night has gone. The night has gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk in properly in the daytime, not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual morality or sensuality, nor in quarreling or in jealousy. But rather... What do you do? But rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The same is true for you, my friend. You must never presume that you will come into the presence of the King of all kings, that you will come into the presence of God on your own accord. Remember, Many are called, few are chosen. Going to church is not enough. Giving money to the church is not enough. Leading or attending a community group is not enough. None of it is enough. If you bring these works before the king, you will be like the one who is bound hand and foot and thrown out into the utter darkness where there is nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that you can do, but put on the righteousness of Christ. To be clothed in Christ is the only way you can come into the presence of the King. Because quite frankly, a God that would allow anything else than that in His presence is not a God to be worshipped. You want it to be that way. You want it to be that way. You cannot do it, but only through the righteousness of Christ. So God's, God's calling and going out, and God's, God's choosing of His people, God's calling this, how, uh, the gospel going out to the nations, and how beautiful are the feet that bring good news, and, and God's choosing that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. God's calling and His choosing what couples these two things together? Oh, being clothed in Christ. 
Being clothed in Christ is what couples these two together. So my friend, you must, you must, you must be clothed in Christ. So we see here, just to recap before we move on and wrap it up. We have this call to come. To come. To come and behold. Feast upon the grace of God. The wedding banquet of His Son. And we must come. But then there's also the command to go. And we must go. As servants of God, we must go. But as we as we come into this wedding feast of God, we must not presume to come in on our own efforts, come in our own rags, stained with sin and guilt and shame. No, my friend, no. We must only come into the presence of the King with the righteousness of Christ, being clothed in Christ, taking off our own self, being found in Christ. And now we'll see, not surprisingly, in response to this, the, the Pharisees, they... They attempt to entangle Christ in his own words. And it's it's like, when you see that, it's like the, the coyote and the roadrunner. You know the Pharisees are just going to fall flat on their face. You just got to stick it out and keep reading and, and wait for it to happen. here. So let's return to the text. Verses 15 through 22. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and applauded how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, alone with their Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and that the way of God is truthful. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So being good students of the text, you'll notice something here. You'll notice a change of setting and you'll notice a change of characters here. And you have two new character sets that are kind of introduced in this after the parable. The, the Pharisees and the Herodians, groups that typically don't get along. So the Pharisees are the religious elites, are they not? And they hold sway over the, the, the religious sphere of, of this uh, culture. And then the Herodians are the ones who get their authority from Rome to tax the people, and it's 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 like a it's it's like a mafia game, you know. They have to pay they have to pay Rome, you know, x amount of dollars, you know, ten dollars a day, whatever. Anything more than that, they pay or they collect. Well, it's theirs. So like if they collect fifteen, well, they get to keep the five. And as long as they pay the ten, Rome's fine, and they'll help them out and keep their help them uh, do their taxing. And they come to him and they kind of butter him up like a little snake slithering through the the grass. You see it, you know. Oh, marvelous teacher. Oh, glittering light as your your teaching, is it not? Oh, aren't you so marvelous? Just to get his guard down, to get his guard down so they can strike and kill. And the question they ask is actually, it's brilliant. It's actually brilliant what they ask. 
Are we to pay taxes or not? So, it's a yes or no question. If he says yes, he loses the heart of the people. Remember, he had just, the previous chapter, he had just had the triumphal entry. The people were throwing their cloaks down on the road and on his on those cold as he's riding it in. These very people waving their palm branches, he's going to lose the heart of the people. And he's also going to just say, I'm not the king. You pay taxes to the king. So if he says yes, he's saying, I'm not the king. But if he says no, well, remember, who else is there? It's not just the Pharisees, it's the Herodians as well. So go to Acts chapter 5, when they're talking about Judas of Galilee. That's what he said. He said, no, we're not going to pay taxes. We're going to have a theocracy here on this earth. We're not going to pay taxes to Rome. Judas of Galilee was killed in his rebellion. Rebel against your earthly king and you're killed. So the Pharisees are there. Which one do you want to choose? Which one do you want to choose? There's a yes or no question. In either way, he's, he's defeated. Ah, but brilliant. Christ says, okay, give me the coin. Whose, whose likeness and, and inscription is upon this? Well, you see on this coin, it's Caesar. Of course. Another way to ask that is, in whose image Here's your cue. In whose image was this coin made? It was made in the image of Caesar. Well, I give it to Caesar. But you. In whose image were you made then? That's the implication. Well, you were made in the image of God, were you not? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So fine, give to Caesar whatever is Caesar's. But you, my friend, you belong to God. You were made in the image of God. Your whole life, everything that you have is then beholden to God. Your life, my friend, is not your own, but it belongs to another. And that is the one who has made you. So there is no option for you but to give your life to God. And so you see this call going forth. And heed the call. Heed the call to come and obey the command to go and clothe yourself in Christ that you might come into the presence of the King and give, give your life to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we often have hearts that are so cold. They read your words and they understand them, but they, quite frankly, we just don't care. And I pray that you would sear these truths in our minds and in our hearts so that we can have nothing else but obedient, obedient hearts. Moved along by your Spirit and carried along to your Son to see his glory. God, could you do that? We thank you for the work of your Son, and I pray that we would cherish it, and that we would cherish it, and that we would come and see you fully clothed in the righteousness of your Son. Amen.